0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. We want to continue talking about um, Colossians chapter 2. Today I just want to share from verse 13 uh, to 15, which is a, a very powerful portion of Scripture that talks about what Jesus has done for us. Now, I just want to mention... You're a, um, a saying that I think it's Reinhard Bonker of, often says. He says, soap has been around for thousands of years and yet there are still dirty people in the world. In other words, you must apply it. Now, if you can see what, what Paul is sharing with us today in Colossians chapter 2 as the soap that Christ has already given us. And we must just apply it. But we have to apply it. It is true of us. It's already given to us. It already belongs to us. It's already in our possession. We must just apply it. We must just apply it on a continuous basis. Um, I'm going to start reading from verse 9 just to to, to give you the context. um, Actually, from verse 11, just to give you the context of of what we've already spoken about. So, Colossians... No, let me start reading from verse 9. Verse 9 is sort of... um, talks about how all the fullness is in Christ and how we've been filled in Christ. So we've received all that fullness, and then in the following verses, Paul starts unpacking it. So he says, for in him, that's in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Notice the past tense there. You have been filled in him. All of these things are already yours if you're in Christ, and Christ is in you. You have been filled in him, who is the head of of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Remember we said that both that circumcision and the baptism is not physical circumcision and physical baptism. It's a spiritual circumcision and a spiritual baptism, um, in which you were also raised with him, you were, past tense, also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And then the verses we're going to focus on. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it. To the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is true, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us, Holy Spirit, empower us, Lord, to, to really believe this and to apply it to our lives, apply what is already true of us to our lives, and, and help us, Lord, to become who we already are in Jesus' name, Lord, we, we just consecrate um, ourselves to you, our hearts to you, and we pray, Lord, that we won't just be spectators this morning, Lord, observing what you do, Lord, but that we'll be participants experiencing what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Paul starts off, and he, and he talks about the, the big problem, the big-picture problem that we face as human beings. He says... Um, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And as I read in the previous verses, it says that Christ has circumcised us by cutting away the body of the flesh. And, and we, we said last time that that that, refers, that doesn't mean your body is evil, because your body is not evil, but your body as it is controlled by your flesh or your sinful nature, that is, that is what's the problem, and that is what, what through the circumcision of Christ he's cut away um, and he's made alive and he's, and he's forgiven us um, our sins so, so the implication here is that our problem is sin our problem is sin but I just want you to notice you know if we underestimate the problem we will underappreciate the solution if we make if we make little of our sin, we will make little of our Savior. If we understand how great the problem is, we'll have a greater appreciation of how great the solution is. If we, have a, um, a, if we understand how how great the, the sin is that, that we need to be saved from, then we'll understand we'll, and we'll appreciate how great, how great a salvation God has worked for us, and and that's why this is important, okay, so he he talks about the sin problem, and and just notice he he mentions two things, he says, you were dead in your trespasses, that is the actual sins that you commit, and that we commit, our trespasses, the sins that we commit, and the uncircumcision of our flesh, you know, it's our hearts are uncircumcised. There's a, the flesh, the sinful nature, the uncircumcision of our sinful nature, because flesh there means sinful nature. So he's not just saying you sin and therefore you're a sinner. What he's actually saying is we are sinners and therefore we sin. It's because of our flesh, our uncircumcised sinful nature, that we are sinners by nature. And out of that flows the actions of sin, the trespasses that we commit. So the problem is not just a problem of doing, it's also a problem of being. Not just doing sin, but also being sinners. That's where we start off. That's where everyone in the world starts off. And and he says we are dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our hearts. And, And then he sort of, so he unpacks this, he takes the sin problem, that's the big picture problem, and then he He basically um, shows three different outflows or consequences of the sin problem. Death, our sin death, debt, our sin debt, and defeat by the powers of darkness by our enemies. So, so sin death, sin debt, and sin defeat. And He shows how Christ deals with all of those um, problems through the gospel. Okay. So, Notice here that Paul says something that if you read it carefully might seem like a contradiction. He's saying you're dead, but you're dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your hearts. Uncircumcision of your flesh. So, he's talking about people who are dead, but these people who are dead are committing trespasses. So they're obviously alive in some other way. <laughs> so, what Paul is actually saying is he's talking about the living dead. <laughs> the walking dead. <laughs> you thought that was only in movies. You know, in post-apocalyptic zombie movies that you get the walking dead and the living dead. But that idea actually comes from the Bible. And the the, the, the strange thing is it doesn't even just come from Paul. It comes, it, it's actually throughout the Bible. I just want to show you sort of... Um, An overview, a sort of just biblical theology, just an overview of where this idea comes from that you can be physically alive but spiritually dead because of your sin. You can be a living dead person. Um, right in the Old Testament, in the beginning, in Genesis 2, we all know the scripture, verse 16 and 17 of Genesis 2, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Now, let me just mention this. We so often, and people in the world so often miss God's heart, just like Adam and Eve did, because we so focus on what God tells us not to do that we miss what God tells us we may do. He doesn't say, he doesn't just say you may not eat of the one tree. He says you may eat of all the trees in the garden. So he tells them You know, dozens of things that they may do, and then one thing, one little thing that they may not do. You know, but in our fallenness, we we so often miss God's heart because we we only focus on the things that that God says don't do. But even the things that God says don't do, He says for our own good. It's like, you know, a mother saying to a child, don't stick your finger into the electricity plug. (laughs) Oh, you're spoiling my fun. No, (laughs) actually not, you know, I'm actually protecting you. (laughs) Okay, so he says, you may, eat, you may um, surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. In the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And we know what happens. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree, and then strangely enough they don't seem to die. In fact, Adam becomes 930 years old. But, but notice what God says here. He says, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The very day you eat of it, you will surely die. He doesn't say, if you eat of it over you know, 900 years later, then you'll die. He says, the very day you eat of it, you will die. So what's going on here? Well, if you go and look in the, um, in the original Hebrew, those last two words, surely die, literally, it's, it's a repetition of the word die. Die, die, or, or literally dying, die. Which is a very common way of emphasizing something. You know, when, when the Bible and when, when Hebrew culture wants to emphasize something, it'll, it'll repeat it. So, um, you know, um, when, when, when Jesus talks to, to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. Or when Jesus says, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you. It's emphasis, okay? Or when, when the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The one time when things, something's repeated three times. Now, here he's repeating. So, so it's, it's quite, you can interpret that dying, die, figuratively to mean that it's emphasizing. And that's what this translation does. And most of the translations translate it that way. You will surely die, you know, that it's emphasizing the die. But from the context, the fact that he says the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Or you will die. Dying, you will die. It's clear that there's more going on than just this. Figurative meaning of emphasis. What if you take it literally? What he's saying is, in the very day you eat of it, dying, you will die. In other words, dying spiritually, you will eventually also die physically. Can you see what's happening here? So, on that very day, they ate, they disobeyed God, they rebelled against God, they died spiritually. But it took another nine hundred odd years for that to manifest physically, and 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 for them to die physically as well. So, since that day, when they died spiritually, they were the living dead. They were physically alive but spiritually dead. They were separated from God. Um, maybe let me just explain this. In, in, I don't know the scriptures, up, but in, in um, James, um, Jesus's half brother, James writes that as the bo- as the body without. Um, um, how does he put it? As the, the body without breath is dead, so, so faith without wor- works is also dead. Is that, is that how it, As the body without a spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. So when your spirit and your body are separated, you die physically. But when your spirit and God are separated, you die spiritually. So death is always separation, either between your spirit and your body or between your spirit and God. And, and that's what happened here to Adam and Eve. There was a separation with God that came in. They died spiritually. Um, but Jesus also had this idea or this concept of the living dead. If you look in, in Luke chapter 9, if you can just uh, bring that up on the screen, Luke chapter 9, verse 60, Jesus says, said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So, so he's talking about two deads here, the dead that get buried and the dead that do the burying. So he's talking about the dead dead and the living dead. <laughs> Can you see that Jesus has a concept of the living dead, people who are alive but who are actually also dead. Okay. Same thing in, in the parable of the prodigal son. He said, uh, the, the father says, for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Uh, and he says the same thing at the end of, of the parable. So Jesus clearly understood from Genesis 2 that there was there are people who are living dead, who are dead spiritually, but the, even though they are alive um, physically. And, and Paul, Paul builds on that. In Romans 6 verse 23, for instance, he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when you sin, when you have sin in your life, you are spiritually dead. Even though you you can still continue sinning, so you're physically alive, you are spiritually dead. And, and he says, the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is not just life, but eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the, the death that he's talking about here is not just physical death, it's spiritual death, because it's juxtaposed to eternal life. It's eternal death as opposed to eternal life. Before we are in Christ, we have eternal death. We're in eternal death. We're living an eternal death, even though we, we don't know it. And in Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3, says, And you were dead, Paul says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Can you see? You're, you're dead, but you're walking. You're the walking dead. Okay? But you're walking. Because you're dead, you're walking in trespasses um, and sins. Following the course of the world, following the prince. Of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, that is controlled by the flesh, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of humanity. And it, 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 so he basically says that all of humanity, born in sin, is basically living dead. And I, I always wonder. I, I don't like those living dead you know, zombie movies and books and stuff. But I, I've always wondered, there are so many of them. Why are there so many of them? Why is this theme of the living dead so prominent in, in popular media, in movies and books and all those kinds of stuff? Because there are like hundreds of them. And, I, and I, I was wondering whether it wasn't because it's actually a spiritual reality that in the movies and the books are being physically portrayed and, and, and the, the, I must want to say the horror of it is being portrayed in, in books and, and, and movies um, and maybe that's why it's so, so popular um, I think it was A.W. Tozer who said there are only two kinds of people in the world those who are dead in sin and those who are dead to sin only two kinds of people those who are dead in sin and those who are dead to sin and, and that's what Paul is talking about and, and, and that's the transition, he, he says, happened. You went from being dead to being alive, from being dead to God to being dead to sin, from being dead in your sin to being alive in Christ. Does that make sense? Now, let me just stand still here for, a, for just a few seconds and, and just re- repeat what I'm trying to say. And what what I think Paul is trying to say, if we underestimate the problem, we will underappreciate the solution. You know, if we think that the problem with us as as human beings is just that we're we're like a car that was in an accident that has a few scrapes and bumps and, and, and bruises, and we just need a little bit of panel beating on the outside. You know, it's superficial damage. If that is our view of our condition before Christ, then we'll think of Christ just as a glorified divine panel beater who just knocked out a few of our bumps and bruises. He didn't really do much. But if we understand that we were dead and he made us alive, that's a lot bigger. That's a lot bigger. Okay. So, then we appreciate, and and, and it's implied here because it says that you were made alive with him. That means that he was made alive. That means that he, at some stage, was dead. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus, if what Colossians says about Jesus is true, then not only does all the fullness of deity dwell in him, but he is God in human form. He is the firstborn of all creation. He's God himself. In other words... He's, um, he's, number one, unable to sin, and number two, unable to die. Jesus is perfect. Not only didn't he sin, so he was undeserving of death, but he was, he's, he's immortal, so he's unable to die. So so what he did was he became human, he became vulnerable, he he became mortal. He laid down the exercise of his divine attributes of immortality. And the one who, number one, didn't deserve to die and was unable to die, did die. He became able to die and then he did die for us. You see, I I read the other day um, a a quote that, that so beautifully sort of captured it. It was, it might have also been by A.W. Tozer. He said, Christ never carried any sin except ours, and we never had any righteousness but Christ's. Christ never carried any sin except ours. And when we understand that, that we were dead, and that Jesus had to take on a form in which he could die in our place as our substitute, then we appreciate what Jesus has done for us so much more because we realize what he had to do. Um, So sin, death was the first problem, but then sin, debt also. Now... Every crime is against someone and it incurs debt. If you steal something... Someone else loses something, and there's a debt that is incurred. If you kill someone, then other people lose someone, and there's a debt that is incurred. So every crime, every sin, incurs debt, and debt can be forgiven. But here's the thing: even debts that are forgiven are paid for, because the person forgiving the debt actually pays for it. I mean, think about it. You know, because it, it talks here about the the record of of debt you know that stood against us you know that is nailed to the cross you know if if you owe enough money eventually the municipality is going to come and go and stick like a like a paper with your debts onto your gate <laughs> saying you owe us this much money okay um, and, and there are obviously many people in South Africa who owe a lot of money to a lot of municipalities you know electricity water accounts all that kind of stuff and a lot of them their debts get forgiven but does that mean that no one pays for those debts? No, the rest of us who do pay our accounts pay for those debts because now the municipality loses that money and they have that debt. So they have to, they have to you know, make more money to pay for those debts so the rest of us who do pay our accounts actually end up paying more. The electricity and water accounts get put up. So someone always pays for the debt. There, there can be no debt that is just swept under the rug. And that is what, what Paul is saying here. God did, couldn't sweep our debt under the rug. Christ had to pay for our debt. Because when that record of our debt was taken and canceled and forgiven, what happened to it? How was it canceled? How was it forgiven? It was nailed to the cross. Who? Was it my hand that was nailed to the cross? Was, was was the record of debt nailed through my hand? No, not my hand, Jesus' hand. He paid my debt so that I can be forgiven and be set free from that debt. And just notice here, if you can just bring up that scripture again, verse, verse 13 to 15. Uh, just throw it up on the screen again. He says there, God made alive. We were dead in our uh, trespasses and uncircumcision of flesh. God made alive, made us alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Do you notice that word "all" there? Having forgiven us, did you put it up? Okay. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. You notice that word "all." Have you thought about it for a while? What, what does it mean that He's forgiven us all our trespasses? Notice it's in the past tense. It's not He will forgive us all our trespasses. Having already forgiven us all our trespasses. <laughs> because, I, I, I mean, when I read that, I have a bit of a problem with that. It sounds too good to be true. It sounds like an overstatement. It's, it sounds like Paul is saying, when Christ, because that's, you know, if we were. You know, made it, if, we were, if we died with Christ and we were made alive with Christ, you know, and our sins, that's when our sins were forgiven, past tense, then it seems like it all happened in Christ. So, all of my sins, past, present, and future sins, have already been forgiven. That, that, that seems like a bit of an overstatement. That, that seems a bit too much. Doesn't it seem like that to you? <laughs> Don't you also struggle with that a bit? And here's the, here's the question I have for Paul. But Paul, if that is true, if he has forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future, how do I avoid living in sin? By saying, oh, all my sins are already paid for, so I can just enjoy myself in sin and continue my sin. Isn't, doesn't it seem like there's the danger of doing that? It seems like that to me. <laughs> if we read it in context, we see that, that God actually enables us to not do that through what, what, he, what He has done. He doesn't only, remember, He doesn't only forgive us our trespasses, but He also circumcises our hearts, cutting away the flesh and the sinful nature that wants to sin, that desires to sin. So, so so here's a few things that, um, that, that point to us that if this has happened to you, you will not ...actually want to abuse it. Abuse this grace that has been given to you. This you know superabundance of grace. But you'll actually want to... to um, ...walk in obedience to, to God. So the first thing is... ...he talked about trespasses... ...and sins. In other words... ...it implies that you know you've trespassed. You know, you know you've sinned. You know you've broken God's law. In other words, you've admitted it. You've repented of it. You know, if we talk in terms of debt you've admitted bankruptcy. You've said, I'm bankrupt. <laughs> I, I, I apply for debt counseling and and, and management because I am bankrupt. I've incurred so many debts that I cannot pay them. Okay? I've, I've repented of my sin. And repentance is not just admitting your sin. Repentance is turning away from your sin and turning towards God. So some people, when they think of You know, this pulpit is my sin, my life of sin, you know, and I was walking towards it and and living in it and walking to it. They think of repentance as turning around and, you know, then continuing to walk in the same direction. But that's not repentance. Repentance is not only turning away from your sin and then walking in the same direction, it's turning away and then walking away from it towards God. Walking to God. Changing direction, changing lifestyle, okay? But then also, he talks about, in the previous verses, the circumcision of our flesh. In other words, that sinful nature that drives us to want to sin, to want to rebel against God, to want to do our own thing, to be willful and wanton, and, and, and not care about God's glory, but just care about ourselves and our own enjoyment. That flesh, It says it's been cut away through circumcision. Circumcision is a cutting away. So it's a cutting away of our flesh. So that when this has happened to you, when Jesus has circumcised you and cut away your flesh, yes, you might still in the short term, because your your old sinful nature is still there, but it no longer controls you. So you, 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 you can still be tempted to sin and you can still sin, and in the moment of your sin, you can still enjoy it. You can still sin as a Christian, but you can no longer sin in peace. You will feel bad about it. Because the real reality of who you are is no no longer your flesh, but the new creation in God. So you'll want to also repent of it and, and continue to turn away from it. Also, I mean, if you consider the cost to Jesus, that he had to make himself vulnerable so that he could die, that he had to be nailed to the cross, the most painful and shameful death imaginable. That he had to first suffer, because he had to suffer death. He had to suffer debt. He had to suffer defeat so that he could overcome death and be made alive. So that he could pay our debt and make us free. And so that he could, through his seeming defeat to the powers of darkness, ultimately triumph over them and defeat them. But that's a high price that he had to pay. And when you love Jesus and you see how high the price is that he had to pay for you on the cross. And you know, the amazing thing is, after Jesus' resurrection, you know what, how, what was the way in which he proved to his disciples that it was really him? Because they were skeptical in the beginning. You know what the way was? See my hands and my feet. See the the wounds. Even in his glorified, resurrected body, he still had the nail scars. Hold up your hand in front of your face. Hold up your hand in front of your face. Are there nail scars on your hands? Have your hands been pierced? That's because Jesus has been pierced for you. That's what he did for you. And when you realize what he did for you, what you could not do for yourself you will say I don't want to any longer enjoy the things that nailed my beloved Savior to the cross I don't want to wallow in them anymore I don't want to enjoy them anymore because it hurt my Savior whom I love it cost him everything not only that I don't know if you've noticed you know you see this especially in kids but in us as adults as well you know when kids are, you know, dirty and full of dust and mud and so on, they don't mind getting more dirty. They roll in the mud and they have fun and, and, and get dirty. You know, if you've been working on your car and you're full of grease and, and, and your hands are dirty and so on, you don't mind doing dirty work because you're already dirty. But once you've been cleaned up, once you've scrubbed off all the grease and all the mud and all the, the dirt, you don't want to go and get dirty again. Right? Isn't that so? And it's the same with this. If you realize that you've been cleaned and you see yourself as clean in Christ, you don't want to go and get dirty in the mud of sin anymore. So often the problem is that we don't realize that He has cleaned us and how clean we are in Christ. And then we're sometimes willing to return to the mud of sin. Um, Not only that, but... um, He talks about community. He says, um, let me just see here. You were dead in your trespasses by canceling the debt. He he talks about um, us, forgiving us all our sins and the record of death that stood against us. So, this has not just happened to us as individuals, but this has happened to us as a community. So, if we, all of these amazing things that that Paul says here are not just true about you, they're also true about those around you who are in Christ. Think about that. Look at the person next to you. They were dead. If they're in Christ, they were dead, but they're alive now. They were in debt the greatest debt, the most unpayable debt, and yet they're now set free. They were completely defeated by the powers of darkness, and yet now Christ is leading them in triumph over those powers of darkness. And if we are part of such a community of whom Christ has done that, then we're going to want to help one another to continue walking in that freedom. Amen? Um, Also, it gives you an identity. You know, before, you sinned because you were a sinner. That was your identity, my identity. We were sinners that could only sin. But Christ has changed our identities from being sinners to actually being saints. Doesn't Paul, in the beginning of of Colossians, actually use that word to the saints? In Colossae. No, he doesn't say to the sinners in Colossae. He says to the saints in Colossae. Your identity has changed. Yeah. Louis was telling us, can I, can I tell the story? He was telling us that, um, I can't remember whether it was after they were married or, or after they were going out or so. Um, you know, he, he, he with, with a friend, he, he smoked a joint, you know, and he felt very bad about it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he went to Cat and he said, Cat was so wise and so godly. And she just said to him, that's not who you are anymore. You're better than this. Say to yourself, I am not my sin. I am not my sin. I'm not my sin. I I used to be my sin. That used to be the most defining aspect of me. I'm not my sin anymore. Because Christ has taken it away. Um, And then, finally, one of the reasons why we continued in sin was because we were in slavery. And that actually brings me to my third point. It's not just sin, death, and sin, debt, but sin, defeat. We were defeated by sin and handed over. Now, the picture here is not just of someone who um, who owes debts and, and, and has to try and pay them back, but of someone who owes debts. And, and, and in, in those days, in, in all cultures, if you owe more debts than you could pay back, then you got sold. You and your family got sold as slaves on the slave market to recoup some of those debts. So we were people who were so indebted, we were sold on the slave market. And as it were, legally Satan bought our debts so that we were his slaves. And the rulers and authority had power over us and in a sense ownership of us in terms of us having been enslaved by them. But not only did Christ pay our debt, but through paying our debt, He bought us on the slave market of life and became our master. Redeemed us from slavery. So, slavery actually to those who were our enemies and who hated us. Now, I just want to mention this very briefly. Um, you know, in, in the West, Western culture has become very skeptical, very materialistic and very skeptical about the spiritual realities of life. And, and actually many Westerners only believe in the physical, only believe in science, only believe in those kinds of stuff, don't even believe that there's a spiritual realm or spiritual beings, beings like angels and demons or a God who is spirit and who has to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Uh, many Westerners don't believe that. And therefore, many Westerners are very blase about the spiritual reality um, and, and are not necessarily that afraid of demonic forces or powers or principalities or so on because they don't believe in them. Even though, often and I mean, the devil loves that. I mean, the only thing better for him than you being afraid of him is you not being aware of him. Because <laughs> then he can do whatever he wants to in your life without you even realizing that it's him doing it. Okay, But obviously, in more non-Western cultures like... Um, much of what we have here in Africa or in the, in the Middle East or in the East, there's a much bigger appreciation of the spiritual realities of life. And in that sense, um, many non-Western people are actually a step ahead in terms of understanding and worldview of Western people because non-Western people often appreciate that there is a spiritual reality. There are demons. There are all kinds of spirits. And some of them are malicious. And... The problem with that, though, is that many people in cultures like that and like in African cultures are afraid of those demonic spirits because curses can be put on you. You know, you can go to a Sangoma or someone and someone can put a curse on you and there's a lot of, I almost want to say fear, and therefore work to try and appease the spirits so that you will not be in danger of them, so that they will not curse you or hurt you or do whatever to you. And what... What Paul is saying is, yes, those evil spirits, those powers and principalities that ruled over you, that had bought your debt and, and were your masters and were ruling over you and, and hated you as your enemies and were oppressing you, yes, they are there, but don't be afraid of them because Christ has already triumphed over them. You don't have to be afraid of them anymore. So if you come from an African culture and you know that your family are uh, you know, they often try and do all kinds of stuff to appease the spirits because they're afraid of it. You can say to them, I know someone who is much stronger than these evil spirits that, that you're afraid of. His name is Jesus. And greater is he was in us than he was in the world. He has already triumphed over all the evil spirits. We don't have to be afraid of them. We can just, like so, apply it. We can enforce the victory that Jesus has already won on our behalf. Because he's so much stronger than they are and all we have to do is enforce his victory now the problem is sometimes we don't enforce that victory that is the problem that is why we sometimes suffer under these evil powers Um, the other day when we were talking Lou was telling us about how they condition circus elephants so when those circus elephants are, are babies they will chain their one hind leg you know put a chain on it and, and with a steel peg that they hit into the ground. And when the baby, baby elephant is small, it's too weak to pull the chain out. And it tries to pull the chain out, but it's not strong enough to pull the chain and the, and the, and the spike out of the ground. And it sort of gets used to, okay, when I'm chained and I'm, when I'm spiked to the ground, then I'm stuck. you know, Then I must just sort of move within the radius of my little chain that I'm chained to. And then, when they become older and they become adult elephants, they are actually strong enough to pull out, to break the chain, or to pull out the the steel peg. But then they don't do it because they've been conditioned not to do it. They think they can't because they've got so used to being stuck to that chain when they were babies that now that they're adults and now that they can pull it out, they don't even bother to do it. And so often we're like that. Jesus has already defeated our enemies and broken our chains, but... And, and all we can do is—we have to do—is enforce it by pulling out those chains. But we're so conditioned to be in bondage to those chains that we don't even try. We don't enforce the victory that Jesus has already won for us. So don't be a circus elephant. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus has already made you free. Enforce that victory by by breaking off that chain. Okay, and and let's enforce that victory together. Let's together, because let's help one another to enforce the victory that Jesus has, has won for us. And, and here's the thing, um, and that's part of the reason why I read verse 11 and 12 for you as well. At the end of verse 12, he says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Not faith in your own power the working of your own power or your own strength, but faith in the powerful working of God. And he works through his Holy Spirit in us. He worked in his Holy Spirit to raise Christ from the dead. And he works in His Holy, through his Holy Spirit to raise us from the dead. And he works through his Holy Spirit to, to to free us from the sin defeat that we are suffering from. It's by faith. It's by saying, I truly believe that Jesus has already won this victory for me. Now I'm, by faith, enforcing that victory that Jesus won, by by pulling that sin chain out of the ground, by saying to these powers and authorities that want to oppress me and keep me in bondage to sin and under their thumb, by by saying in the name of Jesus, leave every demon spirit. In the name of Jesus, we bind you and we command you to leave now. You have no place here. You have no authority here. Here's the thing: if you, if you read those those last few verses, he says. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them through Christ and through the cross. He disarmed them. In other words, the weapons that the evil one used against you to oppress you and to keep you subjugated to him, Jesus has already taken them away. The only weapons he has are the weapons we give him. The only weapons he has are deception and fear and those kinds of weapons that we give him if we fall for his deception and if we fall for his intimidation uh, by by fearing him. Because all his weapons have already been stripped away. All we have to do is enforce the victory that Jesus has already won. Okay, so what I'm sharing with you this morning is good news. Jesus has already dealt with your sin death. He's already dealt with your sin debt. And He's already dealt with your sin defeat. And just by faith, not by doing anything, by accomplishing anything, by earning everything, by anything, by deserving anything, but just by faith in the powerful working of God, you just have to receive all of that that He has already, past tense, done for you. And that is already true about you. You are already alive in Christ. Your debts have already been paid in Christ. Your enemies have already been defeated in Christ. It's already true of us. Isn't that good news? Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.